0: Welcome to the Doing Design Podcast on This Is HCD, CD, hosted by all the world's best live design and innovation trainers at thisisdoing.com. The Doing Design Podcast focuses on all the behind-the-scenes things actually related to doing innovation and design within organizations, such as design research, facilitation, prototyping, visualization, That's a great sounding board for industries like service design, user experience design, interaction design, content design, product management, and there's probably a host of others in there as well. Now in this episode, you'll hear from myself, Jerry Scullion, I'm the CEO of This Is Doing, Dr. Chin Han, Dorota Gasse from Standby, based in London and Amsterdam, two world-class design researchers who live and breathe design research every single day. And they're running a session at the Doing Design Festival on June the 18th and also doing remote research short course on June the 23rd. I'll drop a link to that in the show notes. In this episode, we chat about the shift during the pandemic to full remote research, what this meant for them, how they adapted their craft and what this means for design researchers moving forward. It's a great one. Let's get straight into it. Folks, how's it been? How are you going? Great to have you here.
1: Thank you, Jerry. Everything is fine.
0: Dorota, where are you coming from today?
1: Depends how global you're looking at it or how local. So today, this morning, I cycled from Amsterdam to the Amsterdam office, but I'm originated huh? from Poland.
0: Ah, uh-huh. So you're Polish, but you're living in the Netherlands. You mentioned there like you've been in the Netherlands for quite a while.
1: Yes, already 25 years. So perhaps I should 25. call myself Dutch, but I still yeah. don't have the Dutch passport. So I'm uh, uh-huh. Polish on paper.
0: Yeah, that's only a piece of paper in your heart. It sounds like you're Dutch, though. also we've got Chin here. <laughs> <laughs> we've also got the wonderful Dr. Chin Han, who we're just going to refer to as Chin in this conversation. Chin, how's it going? How are you?
2: Yeah, all good. Yeah. So I'm based in London right now, but I'm Chinese originally.
0: Yeah, we're here chatting about design research and doing remote research. We've got a session locked in for the Doing Design Festival with both of you. We're all very excited about that, but I guess today we just want to have a little chat around since the pandemic, I guess, understanding how research is conducted online has become more in focus. But this is something that both of you have been doing for quite a while pre-pandemic due to the nature of Bas and Heiko, who own Standby, who both of you work for Standby. This is kind of normal. You, you've been working online doing remote research for quite a while. Is that right?
2: Yeah, so I think before the pandemic, because of the global scale of many of our research projects, often partially the the project is online. But I mean, yeah, I mean, before the pandemic, we also have uh, the chances of flying off to India, to America to do research. But we, at the same time, I think we feel a a little bit guilty about the carbon footprint we leave behind. So we try to, you know, maximize the impact for face to face. And also make sure that we use online tools and conduct remote research whenever it's possible. And the client is happy with you know, the methodology we propose.
0: Mm, typically. Drota, well, what are your thoughts? And like, Have you had as much experience as, as Chin
1: in this space as well? Yes. So I think there are two also things here on one hand we don't want to travel if it's actually not needed but we also want to do local research so you can of course as an external design researcher go and travel everywhere and be this observer but we notice that it's good to do global research and at the same time work with local design researchers so sometimes we kind of meet up we do it together in a certain location but sometimes indeed we combine this remote working with our partners And they Mm. will do local research. And that works very well. And that's indeed already before the pandemic. And maybe another thing is also that our office is based in London and Amsterdam. So we have also worked as two teams and at the same time as one team, but then remotely.
0: Yeah. Well, what kind of tools typically, like obviously there's communication tools between the teams that... I would presume are probably quite similar to to many people, like email and Slack. And is that fair? Is that, yeah, you're using those tools as well. But in terms of research tools, you, you know, Chin, you mentioned there about using online research tool. Well, what's the tools of choice for say face to face interviews online? So one on ones.
2: One on ones. Actually, there is no tool of choice. Um, I think hmm. the nature of um, being an agency is that you are actually accustomed to lot of the limits and requirements of the clients, but also we need to consider the, the limit and the need of the participants That's mm. for specific projects. So some projects you can use you know, specialized online interview tools that comes with a panel, which makes mm. the user is very familiar with these tools and you can use very niche tools uh, with these people. But with a wider audience, often you need to consider what kind of tool is, you know, most accessible for general public. Mm. Um, so sometimes common tools like Zoom was used, but also that's location based as well. So for mm. example, if you're actually interviewing people from India, Zoom is not really a preferred tool for many people there. They refer to some of the other tools that's, uh, better in terms of better internet better connection better quality mm. for what they use, they are used to have also yeah. for some audiences i think dorota would have some examples there is actually people who are not as tech savvy as we would assume many people are and for these people you uh, as a researcher it's very important to actually be able to provide better backup so backup tools, or okay. sort of low tech tools, not the fancy flashy zooms, you know, di- recording different tracks of audio, that kind of like fancy stuff. But hmm. you really need to make sure that you can access the people and that they feel confident and comfortable using it.
0: It's interesting because I'm thinking back to a time where I was researching in a space that was quite sensitive, and one of my colleagues in Australia reached out to, we were, we were looking at correctional facilities and the family members of correctional facilities. And we were one of the participants that they were researching with um, was a spouse of someone who was incarcerated. And they exchanged phone numbers to remain in contact because I'm pretty sure they're part of a diary study. And that person then started to message on WhatsApp. So the spouse starts to message on WhatsApp saying, OK, I'm doing, doing the task because it was the preferred method. It was cheaper. There was no cost associated with SMS text messages. And then crazily enough, the person who was incarcerated was suggested as a friend on Facebook to the researcher. Mm. So they, they'd taken the data. So what are your thoughts around the researcher, like connecting via WhatsApp? You know, it's probably a, a, a practice that needs to be considered a little bit you know, more thoroughly around how that connection is made because the system behind it, we don't really have much control of and Facebook's sneakiness yeah. will, will do stuff with that data that's out of our hands. So I, I guess like it's probably connecting with a work phone that's not connected to a personal profile on Facebook is probably one of the best practices. Is is that something that you've considered or thought about in your practices?
1: yeah we call it maybe kind of professional hygiene so how we Mm -hmm. work around with these tools we do have guidelines that you never open these things from your personal space you know like this personal online space so you need to follow some of these things Mm
2: -hmm. to
1: kind of what you say to not fall into the system because you can't change that so easily so you need to work around on the other hand, it is a per- very personal way to speak to this person. So if you can, yeah. if you are able to maintain this hygiene, and you could use this WhatsApp or this more informal tool, and it will make the setting that you need, you could consider it. But indeed, you always mm-hmm. need to check what is this system and what is possible. So yeah, that is always that's always uh, in our minds how to do yeah. it, and it's always also about balancing. Because you can be very professional, very strict, but that you see also with the participants. When you don't open up, that can be via tools, but that is also how you approach someone.
2: Mm-hmm. They will
1: also stay kind of on a service level and with distance. So I think that's also a thing uh, that you need to be sensitive about as a design researcher. And I always specify the sensitivity not as being verbal but being using all your senses so being mm-hmm. aware how to script this moment and how to set up these moments to have rich engagements
0: yeah it's interesting because at the moment i'm doing a research project and basically the the tools of choice have a massive role to play in terms of the the outcome that you get and the choice to say zoom amongst our peers has probably become a standard as regards connecting but when you're researching in those worlds, Zoom is not, So depending on who you're speaking to, but what I've seen is I, I diverted to mobile phone and just, just having a mobile phone conversation and the conversations are at least twice as rich. They don't have to see me. They don't have to worry about the technology. It works within their world. They're happy to speak openly, happy to speak longer. And I feel there's, there's probably something in that, that if you're meeting them in their world, it tends to get a richer outcome. Well, what are your thoughts on, on having a non visual kind of way of communicating? Because you, you, as a researcher, you lose a lot of the context, you know, those things that are going on in the background and people walking in and seeing their settings and stuff. What are your thoughts?
2: I think it's um, when it comes to capture background, it's, it actually depends on how you script your interview. Mm. Because if you're not asking people to show you their surroundings or objects in front of a camera, and if you feel confident in your script that the visual part of seeing people's faces. So, for example, this is a follow up mm-hmm. interview. So you have seen each other. You have sort of built some sort of rapport. And I think in that setting, audio only conversation can be quite comfortable for both sides because in terms of, I think we want to see people is, is, it is more about building rapport and mm-hmm. actually being able to see other people, hesitation, yeah. distracted, zoomed out. That's what you're capturing. It's not really about capturing the contextual information mm. because it's quite difficult to ca- capture contextual information when you see people sitting under bad yeah. lighting, too close to the camera. Can't really see anything at the background yeah. anyway. So if we actually set out study that we want to study the contextual information, we would actually either script into mm. the interview to have certain moments, ask people to do certain things in front of the computer or steal certain things in front of the camera, or we set up tasks outside the interview for people to actually capture specific contextual information and then send them to me either before or after the interview. So okay. I think the camera is really for us to build rapport and read body language and facial expression.
0: I'm going to ask a really basic question, but it's something when you're talking there, a, a little voice inside my head is kind of going, okay, that's interesting. And you say, if you're confident in your script, right? How do you know? And this is to both of you. How do you know when you're when you're conf- when your script is is right and um, you have that confidence? What leads you to get to that place of saying, well, I'm, I'm confident in the script now?
1: So I think you get this confidence. Maybe that's more the case for us. I can only speak from our experience. If you kind of build it also as this conversation that you want to have. You have an educated guess. There is something Mm -hmm. that you would like to talk about. You you need some answers. But of course, you shouldn't go just straight to your goal. You want to have enough space to kind of wander around in this script... To have informal moments of uh, conversation, but you know, in your head, you're ticking off these boxes. Kind of, what do I need to get my answer to?
0: So, if the topic is kind of an unknown, it's good to, well, it's probably good practice to do it anyway to have a couple of run throughs of your script.
2: We always have tests, and it's actually, it's usually involving colleagues as observers Mm -hmm. as well. So, I would run my script. Uh, I would interview Dorota with two other researchers observing and then after we have run through, and she it's not fake answers, she actually, uh, I actually interview her as if she's a participant and she answer based on her own experiences and then after that we pose and then all four of us would actually come back and say at that moment certain things are not clear, at this moment it's better to introduce some other things. Um, so you always have a, a critical look mm. at what you're well what you're going to take your participants through. It's not just for interviews, it's for workshops, for yeah. you know, diary studies or everything you have to test.
0: Yeah, so there's a bit of rigor that's associated with the planning and the preparation for any of those activities.
1: Yes, and sorry sorry Jerry to just to add and that's the interesting part, you need to prepare and plan. So you are able to improvise and think on your feet in the moment. Because if you still also need to think about planning and wait, how should I phrase this? Then you lose the freedom to actually improvise. And you want to have mm. these both elements in your conversation and in your interview.
0: Yeah, to get in the flow.
1: Yeah. yeah. It, does have, it
2: does come with practice, I think. Once you have interviewed enough people on various topics develop that understanding of mm. what might go down well and what might not. But also I think as researchers, you also understand the quiet moments are necessary. Mm. People need time to think and reflect before they can answer your questions. And it's it's okay. Yeah.
0: So as regards the the, the research planning phase, Have you seen any deviation between the worlds of say, you know, a physical research sort of planning phase versus an online remote planning phase? If so, what are they?
1: Yes. So there is a difference. The principles are the same. It's about uh, people. It's about being empathic, have a holistic view, but indeed how you prepare is uh, different because you need to think of other things now. Then you would do it Mm. in kind of this physical way. So, for example, making your uh, participant comfortable, that's different than bringing someone a cup of tea, just having this informal chat while being at the same table. Immediately also observing is this person already comfortable? Could we already start in three minutes? Or do we need more time? And here you need Mm. to do it in an online manner. And yes, there is body language. But if someone is not used to speaking via a conference tool, then you need to have like this run-up time or this warm-up time, sending an email, like, we are looking forward to speaking uh, with you. So, indeed, if a conference tool doesn't work, we will do maybe a phone call. Yeah. So, it's I think I would say it's different uh, planning. Jin, do you agree?
2: Yeah. And also, I mean, location, I think... Before in physical workshops or interviews or field works, obviously the location is a is a limiting mm-hmm. aspect. You need to make sure that people can travel to your studio, or they're in a place that where you can travel to them, or at least it needs to be in the same country. Where I think now yeah. it's actually somehow free us up to speak to people who would usually not really. Like within the scope for the time frame, so if it basically if it's it is basically impossible to interview someone who lives in Wales when I'm in London, within you know like just like just within one day. But now I can probably interview two people in Wales. Yeah. Or one in Wales, one in North Ireland. Yeah.
0: Even the south of Ireland. Yeah. Yeah, I get you. You can do scale a lot a lot better because you know that the commuting time and. But what are we we losing in that time? I know myself and Shane have have spoken, or maybe with Droda actually, have spoken about this period and one of the best parts of living in Australia was I could have to drive four or five hours to do an interview, okay? And I'd have my script and everything would be in the backseat of the car and I'd be driving for four or five hours and I'd be playing out scenarios in my head in the preparation. And when I get there, there was always a sense of like, hey, great to meet you. You know, we always had... A, a little bit of a, a period there to, to get to know each other before we actually start getting into a session and then I'd have that time of reflection afterwards and I, I'd like to know your thoughts on the importance of reflection in design research in particular because it's it. I've seen the scale thing and I, I keep on hearing it from people I'm speaking with in the industry that they're doing maybe five, six, seven interviews in a day because the the organization is requiring them to get get it done quicker because we can do it online. You don't have to do the commuting now.
2: <laughs> no, we n- never, never do that. Two max each day. And after the interview, you block equal amount time of your session for mm. documentation and note taking. Well, not really note taking, but sort like we. Well, it's sort of like organize your notes, but also it's the time for your head to actually
0: process
2: what's the word? sort of like yeah sort of like a process what what conversation has been never do back-to-back mm. interviews i think what's I mean, the location thing i'm referring to is often when you were budgeting in physical world basically i would say okay when i recruit i would not recruit people that's like mm. you know further than three hours yeah. drive yeah but now that's Limit has disappeared, but I wouldn't say I'd suggest people to increase the frequency of um, interview sessions for one researcher, because you are right. People need that brain time to actually think, and also, I mean, we I think we ourselves were also experimenting with you know offline time so that you don't you don't have to be like in front of the screen all the Mm. time.
0: Yeah.
1: In between sessions as well.
0: Troda, did you want to add to that?
1: Yes, it's also to see fieldwork not as a fragmented, fragmented elements, so loose Mm. elements, as doing an interview, and I can do five in a row. But what you said, Jerry, it's this beginning, this startup that could be visualization for yourself, or you know, like preparing yourself in whatever way, doing the interview, Mm. and indeed. The reflection part, the landing, not only as participant, but you as design researcher or a researcher should also have time to kind of come back and to have this moment of reflection. And traveling time was perfect for that in the mm. train or even in the car, just rewinding what has been said, what is still kind of top of my mind. So perhaps that is very important to highlight. And I think we should be cautious for that because it is very easy to plan now very efficiently back-to-back interviews but we have of course the biggest argument is that the quality won't be better you will have more but are you still as sharp at the fifth interview as at the first you need to have attention and focus and yes still kind of uh, be fit so yeah it's something just to have in your routine as chin said block time Mm. afterwards also, sometimes for me, it doesn't work great if I go immediately into a different call because I like to make small, maybe small notes and then go into a call. So my colleagues also know to just plan 20, 30 minutes afterwards. Yeah.
2: Also, I mean, conversations with the participant from their end. So when when we used to plan, say, home visits, obviously you've traveled for like two hours to get to someone's home. You want to make the most out of it, so we, we it's quite common to have like two hour in house like you know at home interviews where you can't expect people to stay on a conference call with you for two hours. Both of you would just be really exhausted yeah. by the end of it, so that also means there is a change in in the research methodology where we actually have been trying to break that one Really intense two hour conversation down into a few engagements over the internet. Mm. In between, maybe like one conversation for 30 minutes in the beginning, and then gave the participants some time to reflect and even collect some of the contextual information we would want to get. So, taking pictures around their house, around their Mm. routines, visiting the supermarket, or whatever your research is about. And then we come back to have another 30 minute interview online and talk about these experiences or the evidence or the contextual information they have um, collected for us. So it's not just about interviewing people in, in a different media. It's also about how do you actually, you need to treat the conversation differently as well, considering the on-screen time, off-screen time.
0: Yeah. Trying to get my head around that, like, you know, treating it differently. May not come natural to some people. They may just associate it like, okay, we're switching it out. Like a good example of this is my little girl. She she does ballet lessons, and you know she she's mad into dancing. And she's four and a half, um, going on twelve. And she basically used to do face to face ballet lessons, and she was part of a, a very kind of well known dance school in Ireland. And when the pandemic happened, they're like, okay, we're just going to put them online, and all it is is a webcam in the corner the corner of the room. And the person's like, ah, no, up and down and left and right. And their interpretation is just mirroring the real world interaction and making it digital. Okay. And, you know, something that I'm seeing more in the industry is people kind of go, okay, well, we would usually be doing research this week. We're just going to use the the sort of, the, the medium of online and we'll mim- mimic and mirror those kind of behaviors. And they haven't considered the aspect of, say, camera placement. I know Adam uh, and Renata's Have taught us an awful lot about the power of positioning of your of your camera and the lighting and so forth to making sure that you're presented in the best possible way to not come across as being more dominant in terms of the use of power and it's something that i guess i'd love to get your your thoughts on you know what goes into that kind of preparation as regards a setup how to make sure that uh, you're coming across in the best possible light
1: I'm, I'm thinking because actually dancing is a very good example. If she has like physical classes, it's 3D. So even as a dance teacher, you give totally different feedback. Someone dancing yeah. in real life at the moment that you put it in leads, just one on one. Let's do it on zoom. You see your students actually only 2D. And that means that you are actually missing an entire kind of level. And I think that's. Also something while doing remote research, we can't just follow all the steps one-on-one. We need to be considerate of what are we missing and indeed how can we still find or get these conversations and this information that we are looking for. So as Chin said, that on one hand, there is a certain amount of screen time that we can process and we can be focused. But on the other hand, there are also topics that needs to be kind of made in small chunks. So for example, normally we would maybe do this to our interview, but we notice that some topics need some time to to reflect as a participant as well. So in on those moments, we just cut the interview indeed in two. So we do a warm-up, we get familiar with each other with the topic, and then we give a home assignment, say, just think about this. Just check your routines. Maybe something will come up. And especially if you are, I think, also in innovation, there are a lot of speculative design. So you are asking a lot from your participant. You are asking things about the future that they maybe can't even imagine. So there Mm. to cut this into chunks, it's, I think, great. And then come back, you know, and have a chat about this. So that's partially only in answer to your question how we kind of change how we plan and how we tackle these interviews because sometimes it is challenging to get everything in this remote working yeah and maybe what other things you need to maybe that you could take in consideration that you need to connect different with people Mm. if you would you know walk Mm. in you would you feel the vibe that's something that we feel yeah. in our bodies we embody it and we notice when many people i would say notice when something is off you can almost intuitively say hmm we need still to do something and what i notice in online do research or even teaching you yeah. need to connect first quite long yeah. you know to check is to check in with everyone to also give everyone a place in this virtual space because that's the thing you stay a little bit anonymous for example in a group session so it can be as easy as just mentioning everyone welcome chin welcome jerry yeah and that everyone is like "Ooh, i'm here i need to engage mm-hmm. so these yeah. are these small tweaks that you need to be i think aware of to not stay at the surface
0: yeah yeah the ramp up time is, is what i refer to it as and I guess just looking at podcasting, I mean, when we started a podcast, This Is Hate City, a number of years ago, we did most of them face-to-face. And there was always a period of time where we used to have a breakfast beforehand. It used to be a breakfast meetup connection thing. And my business, Humana, would pay for breakfast for everyone. And we all sit around, we have breakfast, we talk about the conversation that we were all going to be part of. And it was beautiful. It was a really kind of it's like going back to basics and you know, we'd be up at Sunrise in Sydney overlooking the harbour where, where I used to have my office. And that's kind of, I was kind of lost a, li- a little bit when we were doing it online and it used to be a case of once the camera turns on and like, hey, how's it going? And we would jump straight in. But now the way we do it is I allocate an hour and a half and the first half hour is just chatting. And I mean, it's kind of like my goal make you laugh, okay, right? make make people laugh. And luckily I've got some props around here that I can throw in and make people laugh with, but that's really important. I think as well in terms of disarming and yes. wh- 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 where do you look for your inspiration and in being able to, to improve on that? So wh- who do you look to? I know Chin and Heik and Bas and Dorota, you've got years of experience, but these areas are kind of new to us all. And we're we're kind of learning as we go, but where do you look for inspiration in that space? I guess, Dorota, you mentioned there that you're now a Zumba teacher. Yeah. And before you go to do a dance class, presumably you warm up, you do a, some stretches and stuff. Is there anything that you can learn from that parallel that you can carry forward into your research sessions?
1: Yes, for sure. I Maybe I'm also... This person that doesn't make a very strict, diver, strict. How do would I say it? Cut between private, uh, my personal life and my working life, because indeed there are things that you can use. Yeah, you make you can make these cross uh, links, but there is one kind of disclaimer. I think I should say not everyone has to be this kind of host or take this role. If you're not comfortable with that I think you should just have kind of the basics there and be kind of stay put your personality at front you know and that can be Mm. different and that's fine but for me I feel quite comfortable and that came actually with my background and that is dancing I did also competitions and actually I was always very nervous while going on the dance floor and I had to do a final it was terrible and I had the same with speaking. So one day, actually, my tutor, at uh, when I did my master art history, this is like a very personal story that I will share with you. He said, the only thing that you did well is that you could stand and keep on standing while presenting. Yes, so I was a bit like, ouch, that hurts. And I don't know if I would recommend coaches or teachers to give such a feedback but for me Mm. it was kind of my turning point because i thought okay now i will take every opportunity that i can have to present or to speak publicly yeah so for me that was just the practice that is also something that chin often repeats you know you need to do it often it needs to get in your body and that's embodiment and i think We forget how comfortable we need first to get in our bodies and with the things that we are doing before having this natural feeling. So the first Mm -hmm. 10 times, you will always feel awkward, but it needs this practice. And that's something that you see in physical exercise, but also in crafts. In craft, you see a repetition of something. If it's working with wood or making sculptures, That is just doing it over and over and over again. Like feeling it. So it's time. It's making kind of these flight hours. I don't know. That's what we say Mm -hmm. in uh, the Netherlands. You need to make these hours. And keeping your own, I think, identity. So I like to make jokes. So each class when I start or also interview, I just tell something funny. I think, Jerry, you Mm -hmm. have the same. And just something funny from my own experience yeah and
0: it makes people makes people laugh and smile and stuff folks. We could speak for hours, but we're not gonna to speak to hours you know we're 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 gonna be speaking more about this at the doing design festival on on June the eighteenth but there's a breakout session where you can ask Dorota and Jin anything really about doing online research and there's also a course that follows up on june the twenty third I think it's a Wednesday, which goes into a more of a deep dive into this, and the tickets are on sale now. You can also do a combo deal so you can get a ticket for that course and also get a ticket for the event as well. And you can save 149 euros, I think it is. So sorry to seem like a salesman, but you know, there's, this is a fantastic course. And like these, both Droda and Chin, I look to as, as kind of world leaders, not just leaders in the space of design research. So again, thank you so much for, for giving your time, your input and sharing stories with us today.
1: Thank you. It was thank a you. lot of fun.
0: So there you have it. If you like this episode, feel free to visit thisishatecd.com, where you can access our back catalogue of over 100 episodes with episodes related to service design, product management, design research, and much, much more. Now, if you're interested in design and innovation training, feel free to check out our business, thisisdoing.com, where you can join online classrooms and learn from the world's best design and innovation leaders. Join the This Is HCD newsletter where you'll receive updates from the network. And also, if you're interested, apply to join the Slack community and this is HCD.com. Stay safe, and until next time, take care.